0: He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he said. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Then some of our companions went to the tomb, and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things, and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself." As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, (coughs) broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognised him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up at once and returned to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself, himself stood among them and said to them, Peace
1: be with you. Hello. Hello. You are right to bring me, not because of my ability to do any talk, if you get blessed by that, it's because we have a great God, but because God made me very tasty. Uh, not for humans, but you'll notice that um, I will attract all the midges, and uh, so you'll all be bite-free, and I'll just be followed around with hundreds. I went to Uganda last year with uh, the person I became a Christian with, Mr Leach, and uh, we both had a, shared a bedroom, and he would wake up in the morning just perfectly fine, and I was head-to-toe in bites. So you did well to invite me here, where there are midges galore. So just stand near me if you don't want to be bitten. I've got to be honest with you. I, I, I've had a difficult day today, and it's a difficult day because I've been very emotionally involved with the whole referendum, as I'm sure many of you have. And uh, without going into right or wrong, it didn't go the way that I had hoped. And, uh, and um, I was up till four o'clock in the morning, and finally went to bed after Nigel Farage's uh, speech. And um, actually, I've been weeping today. And. Uh, We live in a world that's changing rapidly. It's out of our control. But isn't it just great to come to God's word, which is unchangeable? That we can come here this weekend and come to our great God, who is the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. So even though I weep, and I'm sure some of you weep today, we come not fearing, because we have a God who has it all written in his hands. But as we come to his word, let me just leave this in a prayer. And then forgive me, I'm not going to be long tonight. But I'm going to be quite heavy. I'm going straight into it tonight. So let's be still. And let's ask God to just be speaking to us. And before I bring any more words, just be still. (coughs) Become aware of our breathing. as we breathe in, we simply breathe in God's ruach, his breath, his spirit. And as we breathe out, we're saying his name, Yahweh. And it's here now that we can breathe out the stresses, the anxiousness, and breathe in his calm, his rest, (coughs) his presence. Lord God, help us to be aware of your presence now. May tonight, as we open your word at the beginning of this weekend, may our eyes eyes be opened, our hearts burning. And for that to happen, Lord God, I simply offer you my extraordinarily average words and ask that you might use your spirit to give words of eternal life. Come, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Have your way with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So our story begins tonight, not on a dusty road to Emmaus. Our story doesn't even begin that morning with the empty tomb. Our story doesn't begin on the Friday that we think was good on the cross. Our story doesn't even begin with the birth of Jesus. Our story begins in those first few verses of scripture in a garden. And our story begins, we're told, in a garden that was filled with shalom. All was right with the world. All was right with self. All was right with other. All was right with land. And most importantly, all was right with God who dwelt amongst his people. Our story begins in a garden. Our story begins with shalom. And our story ends not in this disciple's house with the bread being dapped. It doesn't even end with the resurrection. Our story ends in those last few verses of scripture in a city. And what was a city to so those writers but maybe a series of gardens. And we're told that there it will be shalom. Again everything would be right with self. Right with other. Right with land. And right with God who would dwell with his people. Our story begins in a garden and it's shalom. And our story ends in a city and it's shalom. And if you would forgive me to do the unforgivable sin and delete the rest of the Bible for a moment, we see a transition from a garden of shalom to a city of shalom. And perhaps I can suggest that the calling on those first people that God created was simply to take the shalom of the garden all that was right with self, all that was right with land, all that was right with God, all that was right with other, and take it across the entire world. There's a transition, and perhaps the calling of those first disciples was to enlarge Shalom. But then they had the first meal, and it was a bad one, and that wasn't just because it was fruit. It was fruit from the one tree that they needed to leave alone, but tempted, she saw it and it looked good. And listen to these words because they're important for later this evening. She saw the fruit, she took the fruit, she ate it. She gave some to a man and he ate it. And their eyes were opened and they realised that they were naked. Shame has entered the world. Violence had entered the world. War had entered the world. Pain, tears, injustice, brokenness, decay, futility, sorrow. Death itself had entered the world. Shalom, in its very early days, destroyed. And that wasn't the worst day. There have been many bad days. You know, the ones of war, of hunger, of thirst, of broken relationships, of abuse, But even those weren't the worst day. I had the privilege a few summers ago of going to Kolkata in India. And it was the biggest challenge of my life. It was the first time I had truly seen poverty in front of my eyes. And all I kept thinking was, I couldn't live here. I couldn't bring my young children here. And uh, one day we went to visit a New Zealand family who whilst crossing the road in Christchurch, felt God tell them, to move from middle class Christchurch, from the middle class education system, and live in the red light district of the poorest city in the world. And they did it. And we went to this red light district, and we went to what they created was a big factory. And what they did was they created a place which made t-shirts and bags, Preset, if you've heard of them. And this New Zealand family lived in the factory. And the idea was was that the sex workers would no longer have to work on the streets, but could have a living and start to learn how to honour God. And whilst I was walking around the factory, I needed a wee, as you always do in a place where you don't know if you'll be able to go. And uh, they said, go and use the New Zealand family's flat. So I went in, and I was shocked at how they lived, and I used their toilet. And then coming out, I met the lady who had the calling and had given up with Christchurch life to live in Kolkata. And as I stood in her presence, for the first time and only time in my life, I felt the presence of God on a person. And I stood there, and not only did I see who she was and what she was willing to do and Jesus in her, I felt what I wasn't. Not willing to go and live there with my young children. Not willing to give up it all to serve Jesus. If that's how I felt in the presence of that lady, imagine what it had been like to stand in the presence of Jesus. Sinless goodness, beauty, a life of love. And when the world was faced with his presence, when they saw love and they saw goodness as it was always meant to be, what did they do and what did we do? But we killed him. We crucified him. The worst day was when we saw goodness and love. And we nailed it to a tree. But there were a few who bought into his teaching. A few who accepted his love. And for them this was an even more painful day. Some had given up their whole entire lives to simply follow. To join in and heal the sick and bring good news to the poor. Recovery of sight to the blind. Release to the captives. And all they believed in. Killed. Destroyed. Gone. Now back to old lives. Now back to praying and hoping for the real Messiah to come along. All they felt from head to toe, inside and out, all pain, all destroyed, all gone, no hope. And it's here two days later after that awful day that we meet two of those disciples. And they're walking the seven mile journey to Emmaus. And it's here that we can join them even this evening. It's here that we can bring all the pain, all our tears, all our injustice, all our brokenness. It's here that we can bring the world's pain of Burundi, of Syria, of Orlando, of Europe, of the environment, of inequality. It's to this dusty road with just the odd camel and dust heaps along the way that we can join in the conversation of all that's wrong and all that's broken. And it's together that we're here that we can ask ourselves the first challenge, because here we see two disciples walking together. And it's here that we learn we mustn't walk alone. It's here we learn that as disciples, someone must always be walking with us. Not necessarily Mackie, not necessarily someone from your house group, but a fellow disciple. So who is walking with you this evening? Who are you going deep with? Who are you offloading your brokenness and baggage to? Who are you sharing those innermost secrets? Who are we confessing our sins to? Who walks the Emmaus road with you? The road of brokenness. And I'll come back to that tomorrow. Good news now for half past nine on a Friday night. Because Jesus joins the journey. This is the start of an exciting Easter Sunday sermon because the tomb is empty and Jesus enters the adventure. It tells us Jesus comes near. And though their eyes are kept and hidden, perhaps the sun coming up or perhaps disbelief, but Jesus joins the walk. He comes near. One of the privileges of being a minister is leading people through some of the most important parts of their life and one of the most difficult but the most blessed is sometimes doing the funerals and just last month I had a difficult one where a member of our congregation took her own life and I was called to lead the service and uh, like many times and I'm sure in many funerals that you've all been a part of sometimes we invite people to take a part in the service and this was no different her best friend wanted to write a letter and read it to the church and a granddaughter, at 16 years old, wanted to read a poem. And I did what I always do when I'm planning a funeral. I said, can I have a copy? And I have a copy, and if it gets too much, I can just come up and I can take over. But 98% of the times, I've never had to do that. Because when someone's standing there, and they start to struggle with the words they say, the first thing I do is I go and stand with them. And I just put my hand on their back. And suddenly, from nowhere, they find the strength to finish the task that's put in front of them. On the road of brokenness, on the Emmaus road, Jesus comes near. And whatever we're facing, whatever we're carrying on the road to Emmaus, Jesus comes close. And he stands with us. And he simply gives us the strength to face the day, and the next day, and then the next day, and the next day. In the short term, Jesus comes near in our brokenness and says this through Isaiah, that when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fires, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Whatever you're going through, Whatever struggles you bring to this weekend. Whatever things are keeping you awake at night and you wake up thinking about. Whatever things you've got coming up on Monday to Friday. Hear this. Jesus comes near. And in the short term, he gives us the strength for today. And in the long term, he gives us hope for tomorrow. As he takes all of our brokenness and brings it to good. Jesus comes near. Jesus says to them, what are you talking about? Why are your faces downcast? What things are laying heavy? What brokenness have you brought to the road? And it's here that we can tell him. It's here that we can share. It's a loss of a dream. It's a broken relationship. It's a job that's never fulfilled us. Nothing seems good in the world. And there are surprises. They still don't get it. I don't know if there's any part of your lives that you've never got. Mine is Trinitarian theology. And uh, I I went through three years at college, and I've done further studies since. And even when I think I finally grasped what it means for Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one and three, I'm told I'm a heretic. I've never completely got it. But if I don't get Trinitarian theology, the disciples have never got God's story. They've never got who Jesus is. They tell him, have you not heard? Jesus of Nazareth, a man mighty in God's power, who performed miracles, a prophet, a mighty teacher. But we had hoped that he was also the Messiah, the one who came to save us, but he wasn't. He's been crucified. He's died. And with him our hopes and dreams have died too. He should have been defeating the pagan armies. But instead they've defeated him. He's died at their hands. They've crucified him. And we hope that he was the one who'd redeem Israel. Jesus replies. And he replies with the greatest sermon ever preached. And when I get to heaven and I meet Dr. Luke, I'm going to have words of him. Because Dr. Luke never wrote it down. <laughs> But it begins, this sermon, with Jesus calling them foolish. And then he tells that whole story. Do you remember the one that starts in the garden and ends in the city? And tells us about how it all simply points to him. And the greatest transition takes place on that road. Because for the disciples, they've crucified him. And we hope that he would redeem Israel. But now... He was crucified, and that is how he has redeemed Israel. They had seen the big story was all about how God would redeem Israel from suffering, but this is the story of how God would redeem Israel through suffering. Shalom could only be found once again when the Messiah, God's anointed, took Israel's suffering, the world's suffering, my suffering, your suffering, all that we bring to the road, onto himself, and died under its weight. And then rose again as the beginning of God's new creation and God's new people. And that's what's happened. And that's what's just has. New life is here. New creation is here. Love is here. Forgiveness is here. Joy is here. Jesus is here. And praise the Lord because Shalom is here. He has done it. He's died. He's paid the price. And today and every day he is risen now the sermon probably went on a fair bit of time because we're told in the scriptures that they're nearly arrived at their seven mile destination and Jesus acts as if he's going to go on but the disciples instead said come come and stay with us and so it is with Jesus that he always needs to be invited he never enforces himself on anyone So it is of us that we must invite Jesus into our hearts, into our situations, into our circumstances. And now we find them, finally, around the table. And we remember that first meal, that woman and man took the fruit, ate it, and their eyes were opened, naked, shame, death. And now suddenly on the road to Emmaus, and forgive me if I get excited, Because we have a new first meal, a first meal for new creation. And Jesus gives them bread and they take it and they eat it and their eyes are opened. And they suddenly realise it's him, it's true, he's risen, he's saviour. And as they notice, Jesus leaves the story and leaves their hearts ablaze. And it's at this point we can open the front doors that they didn't have in those days. And we can look down the dusty road and we can see wondrous transformation from pain, from tragedy, from a lost cause, from no hope, from shame and death. And as they walk the road with Jesus and as they eat a meal with Jesus to life in its fullness, to life eternity, to hearts ablaze, to purpose and wonder. It's at this point that Westbury, when I preach to them, would like me to finish, because I've just given them good news. But the story doesn't end there, and the gospel is never understood until there's a response. And the story ends instead with these disciples not staying in their home, but this time running to Jerusalem, this time dancing to Jerusalem, ready to take back the good news that Jesus is alive. He's setting hearts on fire. And the best evangelists are always those whose hearts are burning for God. Our story started in a garden, and it was Shalom, right with self, right with other, right with land, right with God. Our story ends in a city where again there'll be shalom, right with land, right with self, right with other, right with God. The first meal, fruit. Eyes opened, shame, death, shalom destroyed. The first meal for New Kingdom, bread. Eyes opened, shaloms come back. Hearts ablaze, filled with purpose. And it's here that we learn in the New Kingdom, for those disciples and for you and for I, that our calling is once again to take the peace that we know from Jesus, to being right with him, forgiven by him, right with other, right with land, right with self. And we take it every moment of every day to every single person and every situation that we meet. It's here we learn after the first kingdom that that first calling of Adam and Eve to enlarge Shalom, is now yours and mine and we're called to take all that we know and spread it across the entire world how are we doing with that (laughs) this weekend my focus has been told to bring you is higher deeper wider but always in my context whenever i speak I'm trying to inspire us and look at ways that we can become those shalom bringers who enlarge shalom with all that we need and all that we do. So, tomorrow we'll start by looking at how we must go deeper with God. But it's only when we know Him to the depth of our being that we can go out and transform the world. We're going to then look at wider. And how we as a community need to be one and need to be shown what it means to be a forgiven community. A community that loves and a community that works together. And on Sunday morning we'll look at higher. What we can expect of our great God when we attempt to be the Shalom bringers. But it's simply my prayer as we begin. For each one of us when we go higher, deeper, further. But because we come here this weekend, not only will we have a right laugh, good food, good quizzes, and all of that stuff, but also we'll be better shalom bringers, transforming Cairns Road, the streets around, our workplaces, and the entire world. Because we're committed together to learning from him who calls us to have our hearts set ablaze and enlarge Shalom wherever we bring. It's my prayer that each one of us will go on fire from here on Sunday because we met him through his word, through in the community, through meals, and through each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.